0: You're all well. Once again, it has been far too long. Um, That is my fault, of course. Uh, I think you've come to realize at this point that that's just how it's going to be. So, if you're still here, hanging on, waiting for me to post a new episode, all these months later, then thank you. Um, I don't know. I've just been like this year's been kicking my ass. Honestly, I've been sick so much for some time. For some reason, recently, I keep getting bouts of laryngitis and like losing my voice for days uh that hasn't happened to me for years and years and years so I don't know what's going on I also sprained my wrist at work the other week I uh was having like uh, muscle uh pains last night like in my chest and my arm that happens to me a lot if I'm working um a lot if I'm really busy which I have been Recently, because as you know, I work in retail and this weekend was insane. I have never seen so many people in my life. It's the first um, Christmas season since COVID where it's like it feels, okay now we're back. Like there's people everywhere. Um, I know there's still COVID everywhere. There always is or always going to be, but it just feels a little more... Christmassy this year I guess I don't know even though I'm gonna be more myself this Christmas I have the week off but unfortunately the flights home to Ireland were so expensive so I'll be here it'll be lonely this Christmas it won't though because I'm actually quite excited about it um I have a Christmas tree up I haven't had a Christmas tree in my apartment for like five six years now it must be i don't know why i just feel like i'm never really at home for christmas because i'm always working and then it's just like oh it's a lot of hassle also christmas trees are expensive which i didn't realize they're really damn expensive um but i really love it i got a black christmas tree which i'm obsessed with and i got like multicolored lights it looks really cute it makes the place so cozy at night time watching movies loving it uh so i'm definitely glad that i got that Um, So recently, the annual Spotify Wrapped was released, and I'm not ashamed to say, I cried when I saw my podcast statistics. Guys, you are amazing. This podcast was in the top 25% most shared globally. My followers, hours listened, and streams grew by a wild amount. This podcast is a top 10 podcast for 20 fans, a top five for 13 fans and the number one for seven fans. My most listened to episode was my episode about recovering from abuse, which makes me so happy because I don't think people realise just how long and hard the recovery process is my most listened to by country were ireland thank you home country the us uk france and canada i literally cannot believe it guys thank you so so much the fact that anyone listens to me on here just truly blows my mind like i'm always thinking that i'm just here talking to myself which i guess i kind of am really um but thinking that people are gonna listen back to this it's just wild and honestly i can't think about it too much because it kind of freaks me out Uh, So on that note, my New Year's resolution, one of them, is going to be to work even harder on this podcast for you. I'm going to be doing my best to get into a more regular routine of posting. I'm also going to start doing some giveaways, maybe even some merch really soon. So follow me on social media, link in bio for more updates coming in the new year so with that I'm just going to get straight into it. Um, this case is very, very recent. It's one you'll all have heard of. Um, The reason I think it's such an important case is it shows the importance of police being trained better on how to deal with domestic situations and how to spot the real perpetrator, how to handle things in a better manner and I think another thing that I came to realize, um, this is the power of social media. Um, Sometimes social media can be very useful. And I think that the pressure that was put on, the police that was put on the families um, in this case, were a lot to do with it um, getting solved so quickly and another thing I wanted to highlight is and this became really a big social issue at the time was how when people go missing particularly females and like Gabby Petito was the Epitome of the girl next door. She was blonde, she was really pretty, she was sweet, well mannered, just adorable. Like she just looked and seemed like the most likeable girl. And they're always the missing girls that get the most coverage in the press, coverage on social media. But then on the other side of it, there are so many women of colour, particularly Indigenous women and girls who go missing every year. And their cases barely get a mention and are completely unknown. So another thing that I want to do this year, and I haven't done it much in the last year because honestly, it's just hard because there's so little coverage on these cases. Um, And, you know, my first year doing this podcast, I very much wanted to just make it a little easy on myself. Um, But I really want to highlight these cases more and hopefully do a better job of that. So with that, this is the story of the murder of Gabby Petito. Gabby Petito was born on March 19, 1999 in Blue Point, New York. She was the eldest of six siblings, some of which were half siblings. Her parents separated when she was just one year old, her father said she always had four parents as she was very close to her step parents. She graduated high school in 2017. This was where she met Brian Laundry. From 2017 to 2019 she lived in North Carolina where she worked as a hostess in a restaurant. In 2019 her and Brian started dating and she moved in with them being him and his parents in Northport, Florida. She was close to his parents and they treated her like a daughter. Gabby and Brian both worked at a Publix in Northport, her in the pharmacy and him in the grocery department. They were both described as loners who didn't fit in with the crowd. Gabby's mother, Nicole, called her daughter a free spirit with a dependent side. Her close friend, Rose, said Brian didn't have friends and instead read books. She said they were different to everyone else and that's why they clicked. Gabby's mother said Brian was always very polite. Her stepdad said he was quiet, respectful and polite and would play with her younger daughters. Gabby's mother said there were no red flags. On July 2nd, 2020, Gabby announced their engagement on her Instagram. Here's a picture from our first date because I have so much love for you. Brian asked me to marry him and I said yes. Brian, you make life feel unreal and every day is such a dream with you. Gabby's mother said they were excited, but she told her to make sure it was what she wanted as she was very young. But her and her stepdad were happy for her. Gabby's father and stepmother, however, refused to comment on it when asked during the documentary The Murder of Gabby Petito, Truth, Lies and Social Media. He only said he thought she should go to school, etc., but she knew what she wanted. On December 11th, 2020, Gabby says that they have purchased a new van a 2012 Ford Transit Connect converted into a camper, which she describes as their garden on wheels. She then begins working 50 hours a week at a Taco Bell and as a nutritionist, while Brian worked at an organic juice bar. Gabby documented her life on social media and said her interests were art, yoga and veggies. The couple depart on July 2nd, 2021, exactly a year to the day of their engagement. They departed from Blue Point, New York, where Gabby was originally from and where she had attended her brother's graduation a few days before. They planned to be gone for four months. Gabby's mother said the thing she holds most dear to her is her last hug she had in the driveway before she left for the trip. It was a long, long hug and she said it just felt different to any hug they had had before. Not just want to say goodbye before a long trip. She said she will always treasure it. Gabby was big on documenting their journey on social media. According to her social media timeline, they visited the following places on the following dates. July 4th, Monument Rock, Kansas. July 8th, Colorado Springs, Colorado. July 10th, Great Sand Dunes National Park and Preserve, Colorado. July 16th, Zion National Park, Utah. July 21st, Bryce Canyon National Park, Utah. July 26th, Mystic Hot Springs, Utah. July 29th, Canyonlands National Park, Utah, August 12th, Arches National Park, Utah. In their videos, Brian comes across as a very calm individual into yoga and love drawing, but a lot of his drawings were quite dark. There was said to be an edge to his social media posts, which was in contrast to Gabby's. Their life, as most people's do, came across as pretty perfect on social media. Before they left for their trip, Gabby's friends had said that Brian was jealous and overprotective. He didn't want Gabby hanging out with a certain friend who he deemed a bad influence. It seemed like he wanted her all to himself and not going out socializing. On August 12th, they were in Moab City, Utah. Witnesses called 911 claiming that a couple was fighting in front of Moonflower Community Cooperative. The caller told the dispatcher he saw a man slap a woman and they both ran down the sidewalk and he hit her again and then drove off. Another witness said the couple were talking aggressively and Gabby was punching Brian in the arm. The witness said it looked like he was trying to leave and take Gabby's phone with him. But Gabby climbed into the passenger seat asking why he had been so mean to her. The videos were released from body cam footage. Officers from the MCPD identified the van driving erratically near the entrance to Arches National Park and made a traffic stop. They find Petito crying heavily in the passenger seat. I put a link to the video in the sources list of this episode, but I'm going to transcribe it as best I can. Um, I'm going to basically tell you the key points in the video i strongly suggest you watch it i feel like most of you probably have seen it at this point this video came out um a little i'm not sure the exact amount of time after but it was a little bit of time after she'd gone missing um first of all it was one uh pov from one officer's body cam and then a while later a second's body cam from a second officer came out. I'm going to play both of them or I'm going to talk about both of them intertwined. Um, This video is extremely important to me to see just the effects that abuse has on a victim and the demeanor of a perpetrator. Um, I think it's, there's so many points and I'll point them out as I go along. But that's why I think it's so important if you haven't seen it already uh, to watch it. So let's get into it. The officer asked Gabby why she's crying. She said they've been fighting this morning and that they have some personal issues. Brian apologizes for hitting a bump when he parked and Gabby says it was her fault for distracting him. Note here how she's apologising for him, something which happens all the time in abusive relationships. The officer asks her to step out of the vehicle. Gabby is very much doing that fake, happy, cheerful voice. I call it the customer service voice. It's like she's trying to make it appear like everything is okay and it's no big deal. The officer closes the van door and asks Gabby to step away from the van. It's clear to me he doesn't want Brian to overhear the conversation. And this is something that officers are trained to do in a domestic situation is to separate the two people and to get both sides of the story from both of them separately. Gabby is still crying. She says she has OCD and can sometimes be mean to Brian because of it, that she is stressed and had a lot of work to do on her computer. She explains that she's a nutritionist and is trying to start a blog. That Brian doesn't believe in her being able to do that and it's caused some problems for them. She repeats what the witnesses had said, that he wouldn't let her in the car this morning because he said she needed to calm down. She says, however, that she was perfectly calm at the time. I also note here that when she's describing his behaviour, her voice becomes distressed and has a tone to it that I recognise myself as despair when you're trying to understand why someone is doing this to you. So she's obviously gone through this incident already this morning and is still upset. And now that she's recalling it, all those feelings are coming back to her. And I just remember that so well because you're just so distressed. You're just like, why is this person doing this to me? Like, why won't they listen to me? I didn't do anything wrong. And it's so distressing when, even though it's so clear to you that you're not doing anything wrong, that they're still being so mean and aggressive and sometimes violent towards you it's just it just really like clutched at my heart like I really felt so upset for Gabby the officer suggests he's going to have her sit in the back of his vehicle so she can get some aircon, take a breath and relax and he'd come back in a few minutes he reassures her that she's not in any trouble then he goes to talk with Brian Brian asks if he had spoke to his fiance. And to me, Brian appears very on edge and very nervous as he asks this. The officer has him step out of the car. Brian says Gabby gets worked up sometimes and he tries to distance himself from her. He repeats the story about the blog. The officer asks about the scratches on his face. He said he was pushing her away and trying to get her to take a breather. He says he knows he shouldn't have pushed her, but he was just trying to get her away and take a step back. He also has a mark on his hand and Brian says it's a cut from a wire. He asks again how he had bumped the curb. Brian says it's because Gabby grabbed the wheel from him. The officer says he was speeding and it took him quite a bit of time to catch up to them. He asked Brian to take a seat on the curb. Another thing that I note here is Brian, how he comes across to the officer. He's so polite, you know, he's trying to like be as little trouble as possible. He's apologizing constantly. Um, I recognize this again as like, you know, your abuser being one thing at home and one thing in front of other people. Like they always come across as like, they're so nice and polite and so helpful. And, you know, you may think like, oh, you know, he's speaking to an officer. Like, of course, he's going to be polite. He doesn't like, you know, he has respect for him and whatever. But like, I see knowing what happens in this story and like having been through it myself I can just see right through it we then hear the other officer asking Gabby if Brian hit her she confirms he did but she downplays it when the officer points out scratches on her she says he kept telling her to shut up and grabbed her face she says neither of them drinks and that she was punching his arm which caused him to hit the curb the second officer asks if she had grabbed the steering wheel as Brian had told him And she says no. She's very adamant about this. She asks him for water. She's super polite and sweet and just looks broken. So knowing what happens to her just makes this so much more heartbreaking. And also just like, and again, like I say, watch this video. It's so important. But just when the officer is asking if he hit her and she's like downplaying it and he's saying, you know, there's witnesses and like... I first of all see just that panic in her eyes like because the panic to me and her downplaying it and trying to kind of put the blame on herself is like first of all she doesn't want Brian to get in trouble with the cops and then also she doesn't want to get in trouble with Brian because you know if you call the cops and your perpetrator um, anything like that if you tell anybody like you're going to face the consequences of that person when you're alone The cop goes back to Brian, where the other officers are asking about the marks on his neck. They ask him to start his story again from the beginning. And again, like I said, here Brian is appearing to try and make it seem like he's such a nice, charming, sweet, polite guy who is no trouble to anyone. Even like down to how he says he doesn't need any water to the officers when offered, like, it's like, oh, I just don't want to be in trouble. No, I'm okay. I don't need anything. Like, he does not like, no, I'm fine. Na, na, na. You know, his, his tone of his voice, like, changes. Uh, he says how his dirty feet had annoyed Gabby, along with other things which started the argument. To me, he's continually pressing the narrative of him trying to get them to go their separate ways to calm down like he's trying to make it again seem like he's the good guy like oh I know she was angry but like she just needed to calm down and I was trying to get her to calm down that's the only reason why I was trying to get her away from me like he's again trying to be like no I'm the good guy here but the witness statements make it sound like he was leaving her there on purpose as how I would see it as some form of punishment he's trying to come across as this calming presence but the reality of the situation is very different And he says that her nails and her rings caused his scratches. He says he's fine and he loves Gabby. And he hopes she didn't make any complaints about him while nervously laughing. The officer goes back to Gabby to check on her. Then comes back to ask Brian if he takes any medications. He says he doesn't. He goes back to Gabby again. She's been given water and appears a lot calmer. He goes back to Brian and they're making small talk with him. I swear he gives me such chills here because his demeanour, how he's speaking, his stance, what he's saying, it just reminds me so, so much of my abuser. There's no real personality there. It's like all these narcissistic abusers just go into the same mode, like they just have the same personality. The officer is explaining the calls he received from the witnesses to the other officer. And the other officer is explaining what happened when he tried to pull them over. They very much appear to be on Brian's side, saying the witnesses only saw her hit him and along with his scratches and him swerving the van and hitting the bump, they have to treat this the same way as they would male on female violence and charge her. This really is where I think officers need more training on domestic violence cases like this, or at least different types of training. They go to talk to Brian, they explain what's happening, they don't want to leave each other but agree to separate for the night. Brian is put up in a hotel by a domestic assault outreach group. This is so common in abusive situations. Reactive abuse is twisted to look like the victim is actually the abuser. The cops would end up writing it up as a mental breakdown rather than a domestic dispute. The officer approaches Gabby and says how she answers the next question is going to determine what happens next to think very hard and not quickly answer. He asked if she was attempting to cause physical pain when she slapped him. How he asks this and phrases this and how he approaches her here just kind of makes me sick. Like imagine being a young girl in the back of a police car already upset and then a cop tells you that your answer is going to determine everything that happens next to you. It's just absolutely vile. She's already so vulnerable and alone here. And I recognize that feeling so well from my own experience of a domestic dispute involving the cop. She says she was trying to get him to calm down the officer says it doesn't sound like she was trying to endanger him and leaves it up to the other cop whether to charge her or not now I recognise here what the cop was trying to do he was basically trying to kind of coax her into saying like you know you you just say that you weren't really trying to hurt him because then I won't have to charge you but how it comes across like how is she supposed to know that that's what he's trying to say because how it comes across and how he approaches her is so kind of like you know stern and aggressive and like i just i i just really i just really didn't like his approach to her um one cop to me seems to want to let her off whereas the other cop seems to want to charge her it's so bizarre to me one cop though does say to the other which is so true and so creepy and such foreshadowing you know why the domestic assault code is there it's there to protect people The reason why they don't give us discretion on these things is because too many times women who are at risk want to go back to their abuser. They just want him to stop, but they don't want to have to be separated. They don't want him charged and they don't want him to go to jail. And they end up getting worse and worse treatment and then they end up getting killed. This is so true and this is why it is so important to understand escalation obviously this cop understands it the fact that he's explaining it to the other cop makes me feel like the other cop doesn't quite get it escalation is like if i could explain one thing about domestic abuse to people it is escalation that is to me one of the most important things to know and one of the most misunderstood things also The cop eventually tells Gabby he's not going to cite her for domestic violence. She's crying. Gabby says she doesn't usually drive the van and the fact that she still seems upset and crying to me isn't a very safe environment to be putting her in. The cop and Brian speak as he's driving him to the hotel. Brian doesn't seem very concerned about Gabby at all. The cop keeps comparing Gabby to his wife, saying, My wife is usually fine after a hot shower. So I told Gabby to have a shower, and that when his, his wife went on medication, she wasn't so aggressive and made their quality of life a lot better. It's very much to me like, Oh, all these women, they're so emotional. Oh, it just makes me nauseous, honestly. Gabby's mother said on viewing the video, she just wanted to hug her and bring her home. That's the exact feeling that I had also. So I can't even imagine how hard that was for her mother. Her stepdad said he hasn't even watched the full video because it's too much. Gabby's mother thinks the video touched so many people. They could relate to her on a more human level. The video went viral. TikTok users everywhere were dissecting it. Gabby's stepdad said a lot more good came out of these videos than bad. On August 17th, Brian flew home to, as his attorney said, get some things and empty his storage unit to save money. Gabby stayed in a hotel by herself before checking out on August 24th. Brian had returned and rejoined Gabby on the 23rd. Gabby's mother said she last spoke to her daughter on the 25th and she had told her they were travelling from Utah to Grand Teton and Yellowstone National Parks. The last picture Gabby posted on her Instagram on August 25th was taken in front of a butterfly mural outside of a restaurant in Ogden, Utah. She's holding a pumpkin plushie and the caption says Happy Halloween and doesn't have any hashtags at all, which was unusual for Gabby. People think this post is suspicious and that it may have been Brian who posted it. So the following is a timeline of her last known sightings. August 27th. A witness says that between 1 and 2pm, she saw Brian and Gabby together at Merry Piglet's, a restaurant in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Brian had an argument with the manager, waitress and hostess about money and was aggressive. The witness later saw Gabby return to the restaurant crying and apologising for his behaviour. The restaurant staff confirmed on Instagram that the couple had been there. This was to be the last known sighting of the couple together. The witness said Laundrie was screaming at the hostess and Petito was in tears and apologising. She said it looked as though they were almost getting kicked out. It wasn't necessarily between them. It was more so Gabby abruptly leaving the restaurant crying and Brian was just evidently upset. He was angry and he was just being very temperamental towards the restaurant staff. A family also travelling in a van on a similar journey went back over their footage from their trip and were shocked to find footage of the white van parked off to the side of a park. They posted it to YouTube. Everyone online started to decipher it. People thought they saw a shadow of a man digging in the distance. This was debunked by a man who had special software to really zoom in on the video. But he did find something new. He saw the door of the van close. There was life inside that van. Gabby's mother believes it was Gabby and she watched the video several times. This video helped them pinpoint exactly where the van was and move the case forward. Another witness contacted the FBI saying that a slow moving white van and a generic young white man was acting weird near the Spread Creek dispersed camping area on August 26, 27th, and 28th. She posted a video to TikTok about the incidents. Another woman posted to TikTok that on August 29th, her and her boyfriend gave Brian a lift near Coulter Bay village after spotting him hitchhiking. She said he freaked out upon learning they were going to Jackson Hole and exited the vehicle at 6.09pm near the Jackson Lake Dam, 30 minutes after he'd been picked up. The woman said she found it weird that he offered $200 for the ride and didn't appear to be very dirty despite claiming he'd been camping for days. Another witness said she picked Brian up from the Jackson Lake Dam area at 6.20 or 30pm that same day and dropped him off at the entrance to the Sprague Creek dispersed camping area. He offered her gas money for the 20-minute ride but didn't want to be taken any further than the entrance, despite it being several miles from the van. The witness said he was acting antsy about getting out of the vehicle the closer they got to the campsite. On August 30th, Gabby's mother Nicole received what she says was her last text from Gabby. She was unsure if it was actually her sending it. The text said, Can you help Stan? I just keep getting his voicemails and missed calls. Stan was Gabby's grandfather, but her mother said she never called him Stan, always Grandpa. She was concerned something was wrong with her daughter. This is understandable completely because why would you call your grandfather Stan, especially to your own mother? It kind of reminds me of a joke from that 70s show where Kelso has written a note to... Er, uh, to read supposedly from his parents but he signs it my parents instead of his parents names if Brian was the one who sent this text which I'm assuming he did it makes sense that he would refer to Gabby's grandfather as Stan and just made a mistake in writing it her mother said it wasn't normal behaviour for Gabby and that they became increasingly worried about her They also seemed to be going in a completely different direction out of their way on the trip, which raised alarm bells to her parents as it didn't make sense to them why they would go so far off the path. They kept texting her, hoping for a response. They knew the service wouldn't be great, but it had never stopped completely before. Gabby's mother thought maybe they had both been injured on a hike. She texted Brian's mother asking if she'd heard from either of them and got no response. She got no response from Brian either. On September 1st, Brian returned to his parents' house. He had driven the van there and Gabby wasn't with him. He didn't inform her parents that he was back. Gabby's father kept making calls to Brian's parents and received nothing back. Brian was seen mowing the lawn, running errands, acting very strange for someone whose fiance was missing. On September 6th and 7th, Brian and his parents went camping together in Fort DeSoto Park in Pinellas County. On September 11th, Gabby's mother reported her missing, having not heard from her since late August. When police knocked at the laundry's door that night, his parents handed them a lawyer's phone number. Gabby's mother said when the police informed them that Brian had returned with the van and without Gabby, she knew she was gone straight away. So this was all 10 days after Brian had come home. 10 days that they could have been searching for her, but they didn't because they didn't know that Brian was home. That night, Gabby's mother posted a missing persons post on Facebook and when she woke the next day, it had hundreds of thousands of shares. Once word got out, social media went crazy for this case. TikTok in particular had spread the story like wildfire. It was viral in every sense of the word. A police spokesperson said, We don't know what Brian knows, that's the bottom line. We are hopeful to talk to him, he needs to talk to us. We need to know exactly where he was, where she was, their last locations and the fact he was back here for 10 days. Again, the family reported her missing 10 days later. The van was processed for evidence and Taylor said there were some materials that were being processed for evidence. On September 15th, Brian was named a person of interest and police said he was hindering their investigation. He had not made himself available for an interview or provided any helpful details. His attorney issued the following statement on his behalf. Many people are wondering why Mr Laundry would not make a statement or speak with law enforcement in the face of Miss Petito's absence. In my experience, intimate partners are often the first person law enforcement focuses their attention on in cases like this, and the warning that any statement made will be used against you is true, regardless of whether my client had anything to do with Miss Petito's disappearance. As such, on the advice of counsel, Mr Laundry is not speaking on the matter. I've been informed that the Northport Florida Police have named Brian Laundry as a person of interest in this matter. This formality has not really changed the circumstances of Mr. Laundry being the focus and attention of law enforcement, and Mr. Laundry will continue to remain silent on the advice of counsel. This was like the most bizarre fact to me that like he came home without Gabby, didn't tell her parents, ignored all the text. The parents had been ignoring all of their texts and calls. And then he refuses to talk to the police when she's finally um, declared a missing person. And then has a lawyer straight away before the police have even showed up, he already has a lawyer. Like, it's just such a bizarre way of doing things because I feel like wouldn't you at least, like, pretend like make some story up like say oh you know we broke up and she stayed in a hotel somewhere or she went off and I don't know where she is or she got a drive from somebody or whatever it is or like you know tell her parents that he couldn't find her and all of this like it's just so bizarre I think this for me and probably for everybody else really was the craziest part of it that like from the get-go he was so uncooperative like to not even speak to the police it was just, oh, it just blows my mind. On September 16th, police held a news conference during which Gabby's father begged for his safe return and for Brian to speak up. Later, their attorney read a letter that they had addressed to Brian's parents Christopher and Rober- Roberta Laundry. We are writing this letter to ask you to help find our beautiful daughter. We understand you were going through a difficult time and your instinct to protect your son is strong. We ask you to put yourselves in our shoes. We haven't been able to sleep or eat and our lives are falling apart. We believe you know the location where Brian left Gabby. We beg you to tell us. As a parent, how could you let us go through this pain and not help us? As a parent, how could you put Gabby's younger brothers and sisters through this? Gabby lived with you for over a year. She was going to be your daughter-in-law. How can you keep her location hidden? You were both at Jim and Nicole's house. You were both so happy that Brian and Gabby got engaged and were planning to spend their lives together. Please, if you or your family has any decency left, please tell us where Gabby is located. Tell us if we are even looking in the right place. All we want is Gabby to come home. Please help us make that happen. Jim Smith, Nicole Smith, Joe Petito, Tara Petito. Gabby's father said this whole period of time where they were looking for her is just a blur. That letter is so heartbreaking. Like, they're just begging for crumbs of information and they're just getting silence in return. And when you think, like, these aren't strangers, like, these are people that Gabby lived with. They were going to be her daughter-in-law. She was going to be there at all or not. They got along really well with her. They loved Gabby. And then complete and utter silence. The one person who can help them, give them any information. And he just won't. It's just so heartbreaking. On September 16th, Brian's sister spoke to Good Morning America. She said she'd spoken to police, but not to her brother. I wish I could talk to him, she said. I've cooperated every way that I can. I wish I had information or I would give more. Obviously, me and my family want Gabby to, f- to be found safe. She's like a sister and my children love her. And all I want is for her to come home safe and sound and this to be just a big misunderstanding. So even Brian's own sister is baffled. On Friday, September 17th, Brian's family report him missing. They say they haven't seen him since Tuesday. Police removed items from the laundry house to assist them in their search for him and they also said that it was the first time the laundry family had spoken to them about the case. He had been missing for four days before they reported it. I think this was one of the most baffling parts of it too. Like, I remember being so shocked when I went online one morning and just seeing all these headlines. Like, Brian is missing now? Like, what is happening? I think everybody very much thought that the parents were hiding him out somewhere. They got him out of the country. Um, It was just, oh my goodness, I still like remember the shock of it. It was just so bizarre. This case was just so bizarre from start to finish. On September 18th, police searched a vast wildlife reserve for Brian while across the country, the FBI hunted for clues about Gabby in a mountainous national park in Wyoming. Her last known contact with family members was from this park. On September 19th, Gabby's body was found at the Spread Creek dispersed camping area, not far from where their van had been sighted. Her family were notified and her father tweeted a picture from Gabby's Instagram where she is standing in front of a painted mural of wings looking so happy and pretty, saying, Gabby Petito, she touched the world. Gabby's mother said as much as she knew she was going to get the call, she didn't want to get the call. On September 20th, police and FBI, armed with a search warrant, swarmed the Laundry family home. They escorted his parents out of the house at 10 a.m. They were there for ten minutes before going back inside. Investigators stayed in the home all day. Around 2 30 p.m. they towed Brian's silver mustang from the driveway and removed evidence boxes. They were looking for his computer. On September 21st, an autopsy confirmed the body was Gabby Petito. The search continued for Brian. The initial determination was that Gabby's death was a homicide, but the cause of death remained pending another autopsy result. Investigators returned to a 24,000 acre Florida nat- Nature Preserved to search for Brian. Brian's parents had said that he'd gone there after returning home without her on September 1st. On September 22nd, divers joined the search in the swampy, subtropical terrain which contained alligators, snakes, turkeys, deer and other wild creatures. On September 23rd, an arrest warrant was issued for Brian in connection to his activities after Gabby's death. There was also a warrant related to Brian's unauthorised use of a Capital One debit card and PIN code with intent to defraud between August 30th and September 1st in Wyoming and elsewhere with a value of $1,000 or more. This card was for Gabby's bank account. People started pouring through his social media for clues on where Brian might be. At one point, an Instagram Live was made for just three seconds from his page, all you saw was someone on a boat on the water wearing a crock. But an internet sleuth deep-dived this video and it turned out that someone had taken a screen record of a snippet of someone's TikTok and used that to claim it was him on a boat. And this is where social media can hinder a case and where mixed messages and mixed facts and wrong facts get put out there. On September 25th, as the search continued into a second week, Two separate rewards totaling $30,000 had been offered to anyone providing information about his whereabouts. On September 26th, lines of mourners paid their respects to Gabby at a Long Island memorial service. In a eulogy, Joseph Petito described his daughter as a happy girl who people would gravitate toward. She made others feel welcome, he said, and loved adventuring outdoors, whether it was scuba diving or hiking the Appalachian Trail. I want you to be inspired by Gabby, that's what we're looking for. If there's a trip that you guys want to take, take it now. Do it now while you've got the time. If there is a relationship that you're in that might not be the best thing for you, leave it now, he said, an apparent reference to his daughter's relationship with laundry. Petito said his family has received emails from people all over the country who are leaving relationships because of what happened to Gabby. The people are putting themselves first. Gabby's stepfather, Jim, told those gathered, parents aren't supposed to bury their children, that's not how this is supposed to work. On September 27th, Brian's parents released a statement through their attorney. The speculation by the public and some in the press that the parents assisted Brian in leaving the family home or in avoiding arrest on a warrant that was issued after Brian had already been missing for several days is just wrong. On this day, the FBI said they would dial down the search for Brian. Personal items were collected from the home in hopes of using DNA samples to help solve the case. On September 29th, Gabby's family held a news conference. Her parents and step-parents showed tattoos they had done in dedication to Gabby with sayings like, let it be and believe. They avoided answering certain questions, particularly about Brian. Their lawyer was adamant that Laundrie's parents provided no help finding Gabby, so they were expecting no help from them finding Brian. They spoke about the Gabby Petito Foundation, which they said they were in the process of founding, to provide resources and guidance to other families searching for their children. On September 30th, the FBI returned to the laundry home. They were looking at the van and went into the home. ABC News obtained 46 pages of records from Northport Police for calls of service at the laundry home from September 10th to September 27th. Police say they were not 911 calls and some were initiated by police officers. Two calls were made on September 10th, the day before Gabby Petito's parents reported her missing, and three calls were made on September 11th, the day she was reported missing. There is no information on what those calls may have been in regard to. On October 5th, Cassie, Brian's sister, pleads for him on ABC News to return home. She last saw her brother at a Florida campsite with her family days before he was reported missing. She said she had no idea anything was amiss and didn't realise at the time that he had returned home from his road trip without Petito. Like, can you imagine that? Like, he's not even displaying any signs to his own sister that something is wrong. Like, they're just carrying on like normal. Even her parents too, like, because they were on the trip too. I'm sure they obviously knew at that point something was wrong. It's just wild to me. I really wish he had come to me first that day with the van because I don't think we'd be here, she said, I worry about him. I hope he's okay and then I'm angry and I don't know what to think. I would tell my brother to just come forward and get us out of this horrible mess. On October 7th, Brian's dad joined the search for him. Law enforcement wanted him to show them an area in which he thought Brian may be hiding. The family attorney released another statement saying... Chris Laundrie is assisting law enforcement today in the search for Brian. Chris was asked to point out any favourite trails or spots that Brian may have used in the preserve. Although Chris and Roberta Laundry provided this information verbally three weeks ago, it is now thought that an on-site assistance may be better. The preserve has been closed to the public and the Laundries as well, but the parents have been cooperating since the search began. On October 12th, the autopsy results state Gabby Petito died of manual strangulation and throttling and the estimated time of death was three to four weeks from the time her body was found. He didn't say much else and avoided questions about the state of her body. In the end of the video, he slipped and referred to it as a domestic violence case. The internet once again went crazy as they looked at this as confirmation. On October 20th, the medical examiner's office was called to the preserve where the search for Brian was underway. They had recovered what appeared to be human remains along with a notebook and backpack belonging to Brian. As it was the first time the parents were there and they were the ones to find the missing items, many people think they planted it there. But they were found in an area that up until recently had been underwater. On October 21st, dental records confirmed that remains were of Brian Laundry. On November 23rd, his cause of death was confirmed as a gunshot wound to the head by suicide. Details about the gun were never released. On January 21st, 2022, the contents of Brian's notebook were revealed by the family attorney. Note that some of this was illegible, so if you hear sentences that aren't making sense, it's because some of the words are missing, etc. Gabby, I wish I was right at your side. I wish I could be talking to you right now. I'd be going through every memory we made, getting even more excited for the future. But we lost our future. I can't live without you. I've lost every day we could have spent together, every holiday. I'll never get to play with... again. Never go hiking with TJ. I loved you more than anything. I can't bear to look at our photos, to recall great times, because it is is why I cannot go on. When I close my eyes, I will think of laughing on the roof of the van, Falling asleep to the sight of, at the crystal geyser, I will always love you. If you were reading Gab's journal, looking at photos from her life together, flipping through old cards, you wouldn't want to live a day without her. Knowing that every day you'll wake up without her, you wouldn't want to wake up. I'm sorry to everyone this will affect. Gabby was the love of my life, but I know she was adored by many. I'm so very sorry to her family because I love them. I consider her younger siblings my best friends. "'I'm sorry to my family. "'This is a shock to them "'as well as terrible grief. "'They loved as much, "'if not more than me. "'A new daughter to my mother "'an aunt to my nephews. "'Please do not make this harder for them. "'This occurred as an unexpected tragedy. "'Rushing back to our car, "'trying to cross the streams of "'before it got too dark to see, "'too cold. "'I hear a splash and a scream. "'I could barely see. "'I couldn't find her for a moment, "'shouted her name. "'I found her breathing heavily, "'gasping. "'She was freezing cold.' The temperature had dropped to freezing and she was soaking wet. I carried her as far as I could from the stream toward my car, stumbling, exhausted, in shock. When my and I knew I couldn't safely carry her. I started a fire and spooned her as close to the heat. She was so thin, had already been freezing too long. I couldn't at the time realise that I should have started a fire first, but I wanted her out of the cold back to the car. From where I started the fire, I had no idea how far the car might be, only knew it was across the creek. When I pulled Gabby out of the water, she couldn't tell me what hurt. She had a small bump in her forehead that eventually got larger. Her feet hurt, her wrist hurt, but she was freezing, shaking violently. While carrying her, she continually made sounds of pain. Laying next to her, she said little, between violent shakes, gasping in pain, begging for an end to her pain. She would fall asleep and I would shake her awake, fearing she shouldn't close her eyes if she had a concussion. She would wake in pain, start a whole painful cycle again, furious that I was the one waking her. She wouldn't let me try to cross the creek, thought like me that the fire would go out in her sleep and she'd freeze. I don't know the extent of Gabby's injuries, only that she was in extreme pain. I ended her life, I thought it was merciful. That it is what she wanted, but I see now all the mistakes I made. I panicked, I was in shock, but from the moment I decided, took away her pain, I knew I couldn't go on without her. I rushed home to spend any time I had left with my family. I wanted to drive north and let James or TJ kill me, but I wouldn't want them to spend time in jail over my mistake, even though I'm sure they would have liked to. I'm ending my life not because of a fear of punishment, but rather because I can't stand to live another day without her. I've lost our whole future together, every moment we could have shared. I'm sorry for everyone's loss. Please do not make life harder for my family. They lost a son and a daughter. The most wonderful girl in the world, Gabby. I'm sorry. I have killed myself by this creek in the hopes that animals may tear me apart, that it may make some of her family happy. Please pick up all of my things. Gabby hated people who litter. He also admits to deceiving people through text messages that she was still alive. An attorney for Gabby's parents released a statement. I'm shocked that within 30 minutes of the time we left the FBI office, the notebook was released. Neither myself nor Joe Petito or Nicole Smith released that from the notebook. Experts, however, contend that Laundrie's account doesn't line up with investigators' findings. Michael Alcazar of John Jay College of Criminal Justice believed Laundrie was someone who doesn't want to own up to what he did. He's trying to find justification for the actions he did. The FBI Denver Division closed out the investigation. The investigation did not identify any other individuals other than Brian Laundry directly involved in the tragic death of Gabby Petito. The FBI's primary focus throughout the investigation was to bring justice to Gabby and her family. Gabby's parents filed a civil lawsuit against the Laundries on March 10, 2022 for over $100,000 in damages from pain and suffering. They allege that the Laundries knew of Gabby's murder and helped Brian escape. The documents allege that Brian's mother blocked Gabby's mother's cell phone so no calls or texts could be delivered and she blocked her on Facebook. After the lawsuit was received, the Laundries released a statement through their attorney. As I have maintained over the last several months, the Laundries have not publicly commented at my direction which is their right under law. Assuming everything the Petitos allege in their lawsuit is true, which we deny, this lawsuit does not change the fact that the Laundries had no obligation to speak to law enforcement or any third party, including the Petito family. This fundamental legal principle renders the Petitos' claims to be baseless under the law. To me, that is so... Like, it's just unhuman to me. Inhuman, unhuman, whatever the word is. Like, to say that they had no obligation... It was their right to not speak to law enforcement, whatever about law enforcement. But to include the Petito family in that, like their daughter is missing. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we have a right to not speak to you. Like, oh my, oh, it just, it makes me so angry. On November 16th, the Petitos were awarded $3 million by the Laundry Estate in their wrongful death suit, The Petitos also filed a wrongful death suit against the Moab City Police Department, claiming the officers responding to her and Brian's domestic violence incident committed wrongful acts of neglect. They stated that if the officers had been properly trained, Gabby would still be alive. Additionally, the Petitos claimed that they were taking the steps to arrange a flight for Petito to return home after she sent them pictures of the scratches on her body. However, they paused the process because they were under the impression the alleged fight between her and Laundrie was being properly investigated by police. So that is the well-known story of Gabby Petito. Even though it is such a well-known case and such a recent one, I still just thought it was so important to speak about here because, as I said at the beginning of the episode, it really shows the importance of how cops deal with domestic situations I've always said by my own experiences with cops during mine that they just don't know how to deal with it correctly something needs to change and the case of Gabby and what happened to that sweet young girl really shows that so that is it for 2022 thank you so much for listening I hope you all have a lovely 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 Christmas I'm wishing you all the best for the new year get those resolutions going I'm always available through my social media DMs I know that Christmas time can be a particularly hard time if you are going through an abusive relationship right now so please reach out for any more information for just a chat my social media DMs are always open so till next